What is first and second consciousness in the context of your relationship? Find out what that means and why cultivating second consciousness is so important for the peace in your family and for your relationship. Welcome everyone. This is Healthy Relationship Secrets for Parents, the podcast that saves your relationship from parenthood. My mission is to help parents have a thriving relationship and be great parents at the same time. My name is Jason A. Polk, and I've worked exclusively with couples as a therapist and coach for over nine years. On this podcast, I share my experience professionally and personally, as well as those of our amazing guests. Speaking of amazing guests, today I'm here with licensed marriage and family therapist Kayla Crane. Kayla and I are colleagues and comrades. In fact, she works in my agency, Colorado Relationship Recovery, and is an all-star therapist. How do I know that? Because people continue to book with her and share positive reviews. So I'm so excited today because Kayla and I are trained in the same school of thought. She shares a really important idea of taking space in your relationship, literally and in your head, to create peace. She also shares her experience with couples therapy and her journey to meditation and why she still meditates today. In this episode, find out how meditation also helps cultivate second consciousness and what exactly that means. All right, let's get into it. So, Kayla, how did you become a relationship counselor, expert? Uh, What motivated you to be in this field? Yeah, so I've always had an interest in psychotherapy and just therapy in general. And I remember always taking those tests in high school where they project what you're going to be. And it was always like social worker or therapist, that kind of stuff. And then when I got older and I did a lot of my own individual therapy, I did a lot and I experienced some really incredible therapy and really not helpful therapy. And that motivated me even more. I was like, oh, I think I know the right stuff to do what was really helpful. So that motivated me to just do individual therapy. And then in my marriage, I've had a lot of experience with couples therapy and had similar experiences, right? Sometimes you have really good experiences and sometimes it's not helpful at all. One thing that I realized a lot was um, the skills that we were taught and the tools. They were really great in session, but they weren't like, in my perspective or experience, they weren't super transferable to like the outside world, like sounds great in session, but I'm not really going to do that <laughs> like, <laughs> when you're having a fight or something. <laughs> During COVID, when me and my, my husband was working from home, we were in this tiny 1100 square foot condo with our two kids. I wasn't working and we were having a hard time. And so I went and started researching all the like couple uh, relationships books I can find. And I happened to come across some um, Fierce Intimacy by Terry Real. And I read it and I was like, wow, this guy gets it. It's so practical. I totally just makes sense to me. And then it really motivated me. Like just what I learned in the book really helped my marriage. And um, at the same time, I had looked for RLT therapists near me and I had a hard time finding them. A quick note, RLT stands for Relational Life Therapy. And it's the modality that our mentor, Terry Real teaches. So then I really became interested in it. And then I found you 
And then I went and you helped me get trained in it. And I felt so passionately about how helpful um, these RLT tools are. And it really stood out to me from other therapy modalities. And I think that's what really encouraged me to start working with couples. Before, in my experience, never really clicked with me. And so when I found something that did, I was really motivated and excited. And I wanted to be able to kind of share that with other people and help them. Mm -hmm. Nice. So talking about tools in the session and then getting home is a lot different. And (laughs) I totally get that. How does one actually do the tools outside this session? And as I'm asking that, I think the simple answer is doing them, but I don't know if you have (laughs) thoughts or insights. Yeah. I feel like there's one really important tool above anything else. And that's like taking a timeout, right? And so if I can get to a timeout and pull myself back out of the fight, then I feel like I can compose myself, put it together and figure out, okay, how can I effectively go forward with this? How can we come to some kind of resolution or whatever we're going to do? How can we get back on track? And I feel um, just the idea, even though it seems so simple of a timeout, taking a break, whoever, you know, recognizes that the fight's not becoming productive, just taking that break, setting a time and coming back to it is really the number one thing you can do is pull yourself away from it. Because in the moment, it's really, really difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just so escalated or your partner's escalated. You guys are just feeding off each other and it's not productive. So I think the key is really just stepping away for a second and then gathering yourself, composing yourself, and then coming back to it, I think is really the best thing you can do. Yeah, I know. I agree. Time out. So important. Because when we get in those state of mind where we're triggered, whatever you want to call it, we're in fight, flight, or flee, whatever it is. When we're in those modes, we do not care about relationship tools. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I like it's such a it's a good reminder of calling the timeout, taking space, and coming back to it. I shared this story in session, I don't know, actually thirty minutes ago. But um, we were talking about shame and grandiosity. And I know you know that term being trained by Terry Real, but talked about being one up and one down. And a couple of years ago, my wife said, Jason, I want to get our daughter in daycare. And I had a one-up response like, what the hell? Why do I have to get her in daycare? What are you thinking? And I had to take a little bit of space and to reflect on what was going on. But since I took that space, I was able to realize, oh, that triggered a little bit of shame, a little bit of shame of, dang, Jason, you're not making enough money to have a nanny. you know. And then I was able to just share that. But that was a quick sort of top of mind story for me of the importance of taking time. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. No. And I try to really emphasize with my clients, like, doesn't matter who needs the time. Don't get caught Mm. up in who's got a call. She's the one who isn't calm. She needs a call. Whoever sees it's not becoming productive. The best thing you can do is just say, hey. Let's take two hours or however long. Very cool. I love that. Again, feel free to pass on this. But you mentioned earlier during COVID, it was you, your husband in a condo, two kids. How did you two survive? 
Yeah. <laughs> like I said, that book was really helpful. Mm. The idea of like first and second consciousness was really helpful, right? We don't take a step back and say, this is how I'm going to react, but how can I stop myself and go to that second consciousness? A more productive response, that healthier response. And so it just took a lot of work. I'm a big meditation fan. Mm. And I think that was really helpful. It, What I noticed from meditation, which I found invaluable, was it just giving me like this quarter of a second pause before I reacted just to think and step back and Oh, maybe I don't want to say, you know, that sassy comment right now, (laughs) or maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I don't want to yell at my kids right now. I want to take a step and Mm -hmm. I want to think. And then if I need to step away, go journal, go scream into a pillow, go for a walk, whatever I need to do. But it gave me that capability to be able to just make that decision before acting Right. And take a little control of my behaviors versus kind of controlling me before that. Yeah, that's great. I know Terry Real says that's the foundational work right there of creating a little bit of space between your trigger and your response. How did you, was it reading the book? How did you, how do you do that? (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah. So I was, I actually reached out to a parenting coach and Mm. Through all of my, through schooling, as you probably experienced too, they do, they encourage self-care and through my previous experiences in therapy, I got a lot of encouragement to try meditation. And I used to always say, I have anxiety and ADHD. I'm never meditating. Like, you know, (laughs) like, nope. And then I was really, no desperate. I was being short with my kids. I was just short with my husband. I was desperate and I reached out to a parenting coach and she said, to help yourself with that irritability, meditation is going to be the most helpful. And she told me, if I do two to three minutes a day for 10 days, I'll see an improvement. Mm. And so I was challenge accepted. I'll give it 10 days. I'll give it 20 to 30 minutes total. And I saw improvement. It just very slowly started giving me a tiny bit more space between how I reacted to whatever. And that it was, like I said, it's invaluable. Mm. And then the more I'd meditate, the longer that space got. And it just gave me so much more control. And like I said, I have anxiety. So that's appealing to me to have more control. (laughs) It gave me a little bit more. And I really, it was just mind blowing to me to have this experience where, oh, I don't, I had a very angry dad and he would just explode. And so it was a whole realization that, oh, this doesn't have to control me, like has been my experience growing up and my experience as an adult is just kind of my, my moods would really control me, especially when those moods were, you know, more negative, like anger or feeling anxious or whatever that would really control me. And I noticed that the value in meditating and giving me a little bit more of that power. And so I, I saw improvements in my relationship with my kids, with my own self-worth because I wasn't beating myself up because mm. of something, oh, I would have never done that if I would have thought about it first. So it really helped. Yeah, that's really cool. What if someone says, yeah, meditation sounds good, but I don't have time for it. Yeah. 
That's why I always say start with two to three minutes and then it's on you. Hope my hope is that will be enough motivation. But I tell people a lot, make it part of your habit. When I encourage people to do two to three minutes a day, I notice that they'll say, Yeah, I can squeeze that in whenever. And I always say, No, that you probably won't. Say, I'm going to do it every morning or I'm going to do it every night. And you make some kind of little like rule with it. So before I drink my coffee in the morning, I meditate. Mm. Or before I put my pajamas on at night, I meditate. Before I brush my teeth for bed, I meditate. Right? Making some kind of first meditate, then this. And that can really help making that, like I said, like a rule. Yeah, that's great. So what you're saying is too, learning the first and second consciousness, hey, I'm triggered, but creating a little bit of space. I don't have to go with that triggering. I can pause, I can take a deep breath, and then supplementing that with meditation, maybe aiding in that practice. Um, reading for intimacy, that really made it so you two didn't kill each other. It really, it did help learning that first and second consciousness and then also learning the meditation. And that, I feel like meditation was really the tool that gave me the ability to get to second consciousness. I was more patient with my husband because I wasn't yelling at my kids or snapping on them as much. <laughs> um, that was a positive impact on their re- behavior as well, because I was modeling healthier behavior to them. And then that was really helpful in my relationship with my husband, because there was a lot more peace throughout the house. Right. And so it wasn't just all chaos all the time. Me so stressed out and just irritable and snappy And then my kids feeding off of that, my husband feeding off of that after he's been working all day. It was just Mm. truly chaos. (laughs) And uh, so just, I feel like just interrupting it in such a way that just one of those things, if we can interrupt a little bit, Mm. it can slow the whole system down. That's great. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. It's a work in progress. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very partial to meditation as well. And essentially what you're saying is the idea of awareness in theory can create a little bit of space. I've heard this term, you're responding, not reacting. Less reacting, more responding. That's exactly it. And you can even get a little bit of, you know, recognizing that you might be feeling a little bit triggered and that feeling can grow, but you can get a step ahead and say, mm-hmm. I'm noticing this in my body first. So you can brace yourself, you can prepare yourself, remove yourself, whatever you need to do. But I feel like it's really valuable information to be able to recognize what you're feeling because at that uh, point, it's kind of taken over. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the timeout comes in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, especially with the kids. I know for me, when I start getting a little frustrated, agitated, our littlest, our two-year-old picks it up. And what she'll say is, it's okay, daddy. And I'm like, damn, you're right. It is okay. And yeah. that could be helpful. Plus, she's so darn cute that you can't get mad at that. And it's like, yeah, yeah you're okay. You're right. Fundamentally, it's okay. But I think it's important. If we can cultivate space between, again, triggered, a response, and how we want to show up, I think that's really, really important. Essentially, what you were talking about first and second consciousness, cultivating more of a second consciousness is really important because then we can think about, okay, how do I really want to 
show up, right? And what I make up and feel free to, you know, be like, whoa, Jason, um, I'm sure at times like your motivation, gosh, I don't want to show up like my dad did at times. No. Yeah. You're totally right. And you know, what I tell clients a lot is that my understanding of first and second consciousness is, well, a lot of times we respond in anger and I tell clients a lot, anger is almost always covering up a more vulnerable emotion. And so I look at Anger is oftentimes that first consciousness. When people tell me in sessions that they feel angry, I always ask them to explain, tell me if that anger could be put into words, what would it say? And almost every time I can help them get to the more vulnerable emotion. Well, I'm really mad that he didn't call me when he said he was going to. That might sound a little bit more like disappointment or rejection. And so that anger will push our partner away, right? And so that's almost that first consciousness because we don't want to be vulnerable with somebody who's just hurt us. But if we can get to that underlying feeling that is creating that anger, then that part, that vulnerable feeling, like that disappointment, that'll pull your partner in, right? Because a lot of people, they don't care if their partner is angry. Okay. No, but a lot, most of the time, you don't want your partner to be hurting. You don't want them Uh, to be sad or feeling some kind of pain. That will really kind of align you and your partner against how can we make you not feel this pain? But when it's that anger, it's usually just against each other. So I feel like that really shifts things a lot. Totally. Like being vulnerable, almost in a way, invites collaboration. If your yeah, partner's no, open. exactly. Yeah. Do you work with couples that have kids and maybe there's been some stress with that? Yeah, definitely. A lot of the couples I work with have kids. I have my own kids, seven and four. And so I do feel like that, especially when I'm doing consultations and stuff, that is something that draws clients towards me if, that if we have children in similar ages, because it's, having kids, it's, it does add in completely different dynamic into relationships. I at least am often encouraging my couples, you've got to make more time for your relationship. You, you know, have these date nights and stuff. And although I can see the value and the importance in it, it's not so simple when you have kids and I'm sensitive to that because I've had the same experience. It's not so easy to just have a babysitter and to plan date nights and, Babysitters are hard to find. They're expensive. No, there's a lot of factors involved. The stress that we have that our kids put us through, it's, it's so easy to take it out on your partner because they're our sweet little kids. Even if they're making us frustrated, we don't want to take it out on them. But so the next closest person is our partner. And so they're going to get it. And so just being able to recognize that and learn how to give voice to that, right? The frustration and the very real challenges that both parents are facing in different ways and have them use that to come together versus that driving them apart. I think without the tools, that's the, the natural course of it is it will drive you apart unless you're really intentional about staying as a team with that and really using these challenges to empathize with each other. And no one gets what it's like to be with your, 
you know, little seven-year-old more than your partner. And no one gets how hard (laughs) that can be as much as your partner, you know? And so to really turn that around and use it as a tool to strengthen your relationship, I think can be really valuable. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is a way, you know, a little bit of emotional intimacy, which is partners sharing with each other. Oh my gosh, this is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And just being able to hear your partner rather than how can I make it less hard? A lot of times they can't make it less hard. It just (laughs) is. And when just saying, I get it, this is really hard. And this is a particularly hard season in our life right now, right? Each other. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, if I'm not at my best or if I'm not trying to be intentional, I can be really judgmental. It's like, gosh, why are you doing that way? That was dumb. (laughs) Right. So obviously that is not super helpful. My wife, Jess, she does this and I give her a lot of credit for it. Sometimes we get into it and normally she's the one who initiates this, but she's like, Jason, remember, we're a team. <laughs> and it's like, yes, we're a team. And we're trying our best and having kids is tough. Transitioning a little bit, Kayla and I both had experiences of good couples therapy, not so good couples therapy. And I asked her, how do you know if the couples therapist is maybe not a good fit for you? Yeah, I always encourage people to first, um, if you can do a consultation, that's the best first step to take. But I don't know, for me, both in couples and individual therapy, it's just been like, I don't, it's almost like a sense. It just like, it's either mm. clicking or it's not. And I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but almost like on a date, right? <laughs> it's either going well and you can tell this is good. I want to keep talking to this person, right? If you're feeling like, oh, I don't know if I should say this, then I think that might be a sign that maybe it's not the best fit for you. Mm. But when you feel really, oh, I do want to talk about this. I want to bring this up and maybe they can help me with this. Like, I feel like that's a good sign that it's going well. The most important thing is that you trust the therapist. I think that trumps everything else, how they were trained, what they do, anything is if you feel that connection and that trust with them and you feel safe enough to be vulnerable because if that's not there, then you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. I remember one therapist in particular, my husband doesn't like therapy. So it was already a challenge to get him to go at all. And I remember she was really being pushy and I could tell he was just kind of shutting down. And then she asked me at one point, she said, what do you think about this? And I said, I think you're pushing him out away from therapy. I think you're convincing him that this is the reason that he doesn't want to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, you're right. It was, you can just get that sense when it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel safe, like a safe space. I think that's the best indicator. Yeah. Kayla, thank you so much for your time and your insights. This has been so awesome. I love the topic of first and second consciousness and meditation. So in addition to going to Colorado Relationship Recovery to find you, how can people find you on your personal website? You can go on uh, southdenvertherapy.com and that's my website and you can schedule there. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, awesome. Kayla, I'll let you get back to it. But thanks again for your time and your insight. All right, thanks so much, okay. Jason. Nice Have a good evening. As always, thank you so much for listening. 
And if you like this, give us a good review and share this with someone who could benefit from this information. Take care.